Crimson Tower Studios. Welcome to the Old World Podcast, the unofficial podcast for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and the original podcast to bring you both discussion and actual play in 4th edition. This is a bonus episode. We'll be discussing material a bit outside of our normal topics tonight, but before we dig in, some introductions. I'm Lance, uh, one of your hosts, and tonight I'm joined by my other host, Steve and Matt. How are you guys doing? Hey, hey. Doing good. All right. Before we get into our main topic, this is a bonus episode, so things are going to be a little light, but I thought it would be fun just to talk real quick. What have you guys been up to gaming-wise this month? Matt? So, yeah, I uh, with shelter-in-place orders still in place in our state and uh, you know people largely still quarantining, I have rediscovered my love of uh, video games and playing online with friends. So most recently, if you go back like a year and a half in our episodes, you'll find one where I talk about how amazing Red Dead Redemption 2 is. Actually, I've probably brought it up in like two or three episodes. Yeah, but, it's been a couple. Yeah, well, it's that good. Uh, but we've recently started playing the online version of it, Red Dead Online, where it's the same game world. The you know Everything's really the same except for you're playing it with other players. You create your own... Um, character that you're playing as and then you're going around doing missions and uh, there's a lot of PvP you can do in the online version you have different roles that you're progressing uh, you can be a bounty hunter a collector, a moonshiner or a trader and all of those you could, you could it's not like you have to pick one or the other you can advance on all of them at once uh, and anyways we've been, been playing a lot of it and it's been really good Kyle is one of the guys I play with and we're on there usually every couple days. Uh, and that's, it's definitely helped pass the time while board gaming and role-playing game games are, uh, obviously not the main focus, unfortunately with everything going on. Nice. What about you, Steve? Uh, so far I've just been uh, playing some final fantasy seven remake. It's been a very enjoyable experience. Cool. Yeah, I've actually been doing the same. Uh, Final Fantasy VII, I actually beat the game. Yay! I took a couple days off of work, so I was able to put a lot of hours into it. Um, and I did. Uh, and uh, it was it was excellent. I, I am waiting for you two to get the game and play it all the way through and beat it so we can talk about the ending. But I definitely am excited about the next installment. In fact, I'm so excited. I started playing Final Fantasy 12 again, about halfway through that. Just, uh, I've never beat 12, so I'm pretty excited. I think I just got past the point where I've played the farthest before. So I've been doing a little bit of video gaming myself. Um, I did get some board games on the table, which I don't often get to do. So played some uh, Above and Below, which is a, an excellent oh. uh, game. Um, That's a great game. Yeah, and uh, I really, my sister-in-law and my wife really enjoy that one, so I, I got to get near and far, just because hopefully it'll be another hit for them. Uh, and then we also played, uh, what was the, oh, well, uh, a dear friend of mine got my kids some excellent games, and we played uh, like Drag, drag or uh, Rhino Hero, Rhino Hero was a lot of fun. 
Um, actually, as an adult, I felt that that was a lot of fun. So I definitely recommend that one. Um, and we got a couple other games. Haven't had a chance to play through all of them. But yeah, I've uh, so I've done a little bit of board game. And Dominion was the other one, which is a standby in my house. You know, when no one can agree what to play, Dominion will be the one that comes out. So. Nice. Yeah, I'm still behind a couple expansions on Dominion. There's a new one that just came out, too. I need to need to get on that. Yeah. But, man, Rhino Hero is a delight. I remember the first time I ever played that game, the first time I ever saw it in person was at uh, Grand Con 2016, I believe, and bought a copy sight unseen because it looked so neat. And we had uh, – so in Rhino Hero, you're, like, you're using these cards that are folded – to, to make walls and then floors of a high-rise, like, apartment building, essentially. And there's special, like, power-ups and things in the cards that, that have uh, make it easier or harder as you're building it. And uh, we had... It had to have been, like, eight feet tall by the time we were done. because And these are wow. just standard-sized cards. We had to stand on chairs to continue wow. building... And this was in the middle of the convention. We had, like, there were people all around the table watching us as we're, like, hands are shaking, trying to place this card just right to where stuff didn't fall. Oh, I couldn't imagine moving the the Rhino Hero from a a lower floor to a higher floor with that big. Yeah. Oh, it's wild. Man. They actually, they released a a second version of that called Rhino Hero Super Battle, which Mm -hmm. comes in a big box. And you're building multiple buildings at once, and you have floors that can span across oh. uh, from building to building. Wow. And I want to say there's like three or four different uh, like wooden hero meeples that are moving up all at the same time. That's it's, cool. Uh, it's that going sounds on. fun. Oh man, hobby yeah. games. Yeah, so man. I, and so I've been playing it with my kids who like are you know four and five, so we don't get very high before it gets knocked down, but still a lot of fun. Rhino Hero. Who knew that would have been the talk today? All right. So we're going to skip right on. There's a lot of news and cool stuff out there. Um, I, I want to mention that there's a lot of information in an article talking about what's going to get released for fourth edition of Woofrup. We will be talking about that in our next discussion episode uh, when we do record that. So we'll have a lot of news section. But uh, we know that it's cool, but there's really no hard date, so it doesn't tell us anything. And pretty much anything we talk about would be speculation anyway. So if you're listening to this and you're a diehard Wolfrup fan, more is coming down the line. Uh, so I'm just very curious to see. I'm, I will say this I am desperately in need of the Death on the Right companion. So hopefully we see that soon. For sure. We are anxiously anticipating that. All right, so the main topic of the show tonight, uh, we're doing our first bonus episode for one of our, we're going to call this our sister games, right? So we're going to do a high-level review about Warhammer 40,000 Wrath and Glory. Now, uh, there are, Cubicle 7 is doing three different lines of Warhammer role-playing games. We have uh, Wrath and Glory which is the 40k version we have warmer fantasy roleplay which is the fantasy version and then we have age of sigmar soulbound which is the new version uh just released on pdf and you can pre-order it for but that's the for the age of sigmar what happened when the old world died but the old world's coming back y'all so anyway um 
they're our sister games. So we felt like we needed to do a bonus episode to kind of just give our high level thoughts on it. So uh, I definitely am excited about this. So old worlders, let's leave our grim, dark, and perilous game of fantasy role play behind. And instead, let's talk about a grim, dark, and perilous game of future space role playing <laughs> yeah. as we Woo. discuss Warhammer 40,000 Wrath and Glory. Oh, that's great. Awesome. So, hey, before, guys, we're going to dig in, and and listeners, too, so you know, this is, we have show notes here, but we are being very loose and fast with our format in this show. So we're going to, we might jump around a lot, but our idea is to try to kind of go through the book a little bit in order. It's, again, very high level. We're not getting an in-depth review here. We haven't yet played this game, though we fully intend to. Um, but, so the first thing, guys, that I want to put on the table that I want to discuss is just... Before you've read anything, first impressions of now we don't have physical books, but you know, we have the PDF artwork, layout, you know, design. What are your thoughts? Oh, it's it's uh solid, it's a beautiful, beautifully well done and you know, well put together book, beautiful artwork all the way through, just with a different theme. My my first impression was very similar, very similar. Um, the the whitish, it's kind of a whitish gray background, which Matt, I know you talked about a lot with the uh, you know Woofrup Fourth Edition, right? It doesn't kill your eyes to read this, like certain, like I, and I always hit hard on Star Trek Adventures for this. Like I like Star Trek Adventures, and I like the theme that having all black pages with white text is, but it is difficult to read sometimes, and. Though the reality is, is this book isn't. It's a grim, dark world, but the rule book isn't. Um, the artwork is the the like layout, the little art, the the text that you read is, but it doesn't kill you to read this. So, and and the artwork is amazing, and the layout is what I've come to expect. It's, I'll just say this: it's a Cubicle Seven product, and I have never seen a Cubicle Seven product that didn't have a sparkly, polished finish that looked amazing. Right. Yep, I definitely agree with you, Lance. Uh, man, the artwork is just fantastic. I'm uh, I'm a art guy, you know, so it's nice to, you know, when the rule book actually has that type of artwork, you know, really sets a mood in the world, like the setting that you're in. Uh, so well done, and it's just easy easy to read, and and it's not just straight up rules, you know. There there's a lot of kind of like letters, notes, you know, quotes. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's nice and a fun read. Yeah, I agree. So I and I know uh, it's really hard to choose a favorite piece of artwork, but um, I, I did want to say one of them that just immediately. So first off, all the weapon pieces look great, and I know um, and a lot of like the page stoppers very thematic, but one piece of artwork that just kind of immediately grabbed me. Really, there's two, but one that grabbed me from the point of view of like how messed up and how 40k is on page 153 there's a couple of uh witch hunter or uh, see i want to call them witch hunters right but they're not they they sure look like witch hunters right they look like witch hunters but they're they're basically inquisition uh and just you look at that and you're like this is the the technological world of you know 40k yes yes it is and I think it just perfectly encapsulates the the setting. 
Um, and then you you compare that to, and I don't remember where it is in the book, but there is a giant painting in this book where like there's these buildings and like some circle, like this, uh, it looks like some sort of electric generator that's bigger than the city that's like built into the city and just stuff like that, man. It just, it's so, there's a lot of, there's a lot of full page pieces of art. And I want to say there's probably more, or at least in scrolling through it and flipping through it, it seemed like there's more than there is in uh, fourth edition. Ah, man, that's tough to say. Fourth edition did have a lot of full page pieces right at the beginning. Like they had, but you're right, man, as I'm flipping through this again, man, and that's just a great piece. One page 145 with oh, so good, man. Oh yeah. With them standing up. Yeah. There's like a, it's some like a, sort of, it's a ministorum. Yeah. Ministorum priest. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, awesome. Even the very next page, it's a bunch of, uh, space marines or just in you know a group of folks in power armor and they're all clad up with the awards that they've won and badges and purity seals all over the place that's another beautiful piece too yeah long story short the artwork is just fantastic (laughs) definitely is so all right so the book starts out with kind of the standard role-playing book introduction that i feel like every role-playing book ever printed must have. Right. Um, uh, Cubicle 7 uh, did this with Woofrup, and they did it again here. They have, like, letters, which are almost like an in-universe way to introduce your players to the setting. Yep. Um, It's good stuff, and I'm mm -hmm. sure I'm not alone, Uh, Lance. I know for a fact that you also were looking through this trying to find little Easter eggs, like the one that was in... The fourth edition rule book. Yes, I absolutely did. I didn't find any though. Did you? I didn't either. I didn't either. I was I was digging through it, hoping I'd find like, you know, in fourth edition, every you know, so often there was a letter that was underlined, and if you put all those together, it would be a message. Uh, but I don't. I don't believe there's a lot of words in this one that are capitalized and like really stand out. But I don't. I don't think it's. Uh, at least I didn't didn't see anything. Yeah. But. I also know how cunning they can be and how devious. So I'm, I'm not saying there's not something in there, but I didn't see it at least. And I'm sure, I mean, we're not deep into the, everything that is uh, wrath and glory. So it's possible somebody else has found it and we just aren't aware. Yeah. But like you said, it is a great introduction for people that aren't, that don't know 40 K. Um, very well right so all right guys so the next portion is character creation character another great piece of artwork on this on the first uh page where it says character yeah it really shows a size comparison yeah of the space brains compared to like a regular human being that's i mean what they're like eight foot tall yeah, well, so this this piece is of uh, a space marine without his armor, like, kneeling down, having armor put on. Uh, and it's clear that the other people that are around him are significantly smaller. Right, so I, I, I have a feeling this is the Ultramarine's Primark. Um, and I don't, I mean, somebody that knows, again, 
this isn't our bread and butter, guys. <laughs> so I'm sure there are a bunch of 40K fans out there that are tearing out their eyes, whether I'm right or wrong. Like, you, it's not obvious to you, but that's my theory. That's the Primark of the Ultramarines chapter right there. So I could be wrong. It's kind of almost like an anointing type of scenario, right? Yeah. Yep. And like the blessings before they put it on, maybe? It doesn't seem like he's ready to put on armor. It's more like kind of like a uh, ceremonial. It's a, Yeah, it's a ceremony of some sort, for yeah. sure. Ugh, legit. Don't worry, listeners. Artwork. Eventually, we'll start talking about something that is meaningful <laughs> to you right? <laughs> instead of what you can't see creating a character i thought the process uh, looked great um and definitely from what i I'm, i mean you can take it where you got like a small little one tier group you know if you decide that um but you can go to tier four where you can face like it's just wild okay so let yeah let's talk about tiers. that's a good point steve i think that's a, a huge huge piece of this real, system real, real quick before we hit tiers, i wanted to mention uh just kind of going in order a little bit the the creating a framework i love this idea and honestly i think that this is something that i'm going to include in maybe every character creation that i do from here on out where it's a collective decision of what kind of adventure we want to go on okay that way instead of having a party of four completely random people right of I agree all yeah. sorts of different ilks and different you know different setups and then it, you know, it wouldn't make sense to have a your everyday peasant going on like a bounty hunter mission or, a, you know, something that's going to be super combat focused if that's what they want. So creating a framework, which is technically the first part of character creation, has the group as a whole decide what kind of adventuring they want to do. That way, you can gear the characters that you create, uh, have them be more focused and therefore more cohesive. And that's something that I really, really like. Right, and. So as we talk about this book more, there's an obvious need for that, right? So they build in, you can make characters, player characters of orcs and Eldar, right? I mean, and, and, and while you could argue, you know, the feasibility of a space Marine fighting alongside Imperial Guard, et cetera, you know, what are the chances of a space marine fighting alongside an art orc, right? Or something like right. that. It, it's in in the so they almost had to do this. Um, but it's a it's something that I agree with you, Matt. Like I feel like it could make a giant difference. Like think of in, in a, a, a Wolfrup game, right? If uh if you say, like, look guys, we're gonna be doing an adventure and and here's the framework, what what if we're all part of a ship that sails out of Marienburg and we do various adventures for some sort of merchant ship, right? That's going to change massively the characters yep. we're going to make, right? So People maybe could all, you could all build a, a river folk at that point and, right. and be more geared and more set in an adventure where you're going to be on the river. Right. Or, or, you know, if you had three or two knights and a cavalry men and then a, you know, a scholar, like, the one person in a lot of cases is going to be going to maybe feel left out. And obviously it's up to the GM to make sure that people are always included, but having, having a more focused idea on what you want to be doing, I think would make role-playing easier. I think it would make the flow of the game, you know, uh, be more fluent. 
Right. And, so, and when you think about it too, like from the point of view, like what if, so again, I'm going back to Woofra because it's what I know best, but in our, in our idea of a boat, you want to play a scholarly character. Great. Like if you're trying to work within the framework, instead of your scholarly, scholarly character being, you know, some, you know, person that is, uh, you know, trained in the colleges of magic and isn't a ma- magician or something, right? What are the reasons that they're on a merchant ship, right? Instead, you're like the 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 purser, right? You're the person that does all the logbooks and everything. That's your job, right? And, you know, you could build a character along those lines so it doesn't right. feel like you're smashing a bunch of puzzle pieces that were never designed to fit together. Yeah, yeah. That's a great way of putting it. So, yeah. So framework. So in, in a... I, I love it. Did, what did you? What do you think about the framework, Steve? Um, I think in this world, it's it, it's needed. Um, it's it, it's just like you wouldn't have an orc in um, an imperial regiment. It just wouldn't happen. So, I I can see where they they needed they the framework in that way. You have a set group with goal. In this world, it matters so much because there are tiers. Like you can be an imperial guard trooper won't have what a space marine would have you know whether you know technology weapons transport um your access to be able to travel around the worlds more um you pretty much you know get told what to do so definitely i think i like it and i think in this world it's needed that way the group has like a main focus and main goal and definitely will help them in their future uh storylines right Right. So, Steve, why don't you take us back to the let's go back to the archetypes because I or not the archetypes, rather the tiers. Tiers. Yeah. yeah. Take us back through the tiers. How does the tier system work? There are four tiers and basically the tiers kind of set things in motion. And basically based off the tiers are who you can select um, as your characters. Uh, but also um, it will determine also kind of what you're facing. You definitely won't That's be true. like. A, a imperial guard uh, facing like a de- demon that's more of kind of like a squads <laughs> so um but yeah um i i didn't read super thoroughly into tears but that's kind of my main gist i got you know there's yeah. four of them and well, that's pretty much the power level of your group so up your tears well and it's perfect right so you as a group yeah. decide a framework but you also decide a tier that you want to play at and the tier will help everybody figure out kind of their roles and, and what it is, right? So, and for the jump, right, uh, uh, an Imperial Guardsman, right, the average foot soldier that's just a throwaway guy only lives for 15 hours on the front lines. You 15 know, minutes. 15 minutes, by, right, on average. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Right, he's, that's a Tier 1, you know, archetype, whereas a tactical Space Marine, your run-of-the-mill, quote-unquote, standard Space Marine, is Tier 3. Right. And and you, we all I mean, I, Steve and I and Matt have all played 40K and we know the difference between what a space marine can dish out versus an Imperial Guard. It's massive. difference, Right. right? So yeah. it'd be like one on 10 and you'd do all right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so in addition to kind of determining, a, I guess, like a difficulty uh, that the, um, the various tiers have, the higher the tier, the more XP you start with. And one of the things I really like about this is that, like in Warhammer, for example, it's not built into the rules giving you this kind of option to where you could start with a much higher level character. Obviously, you could you could roll that, 
Sure. Uh, and in a way, we do when we do our uh, character review episodes or career episodes. Yeah, that's we true. give you a bunch of free XP. But this is built in to where if you wanted to just go right out of the gate and get into some serious combat or some serious high level role playing, you can do it from the very initial character creation <clears throat> right out of the book. And that's something that in, I haven't really experienced outside of uh, just cooking it up yourself. Uh, it's not something that I see in a lot of uh, role-playing game rule books. It's like I think night it's a level. really nice addition. It's like night-level play in Star Wars, right? The, there's right. those rules for night-level where you get a bunch of extra XP and stuff. So, yeah, but I don't even that's not in the core book for that, is it? No, it's not. I think it's in uh, it's in one of the I think it's in the see, I'm not going to remember, but I think it's in one of yeah. the uh, GM screen uh, extra rules. Sure. But so one of the cool things about the tiers, though, is so like, let's say uh, my entire group says, oh, man, let's let's play tier three. We want to be a space marine squad or somehow tied into that. Let's that'd be cool. Well, what if one of you wants to be a Space Marine Scout, which is a Tier 2? Or what if you have some sort of, like, an Imperial Guard? You really want to play an Imperial Guard, and it does fit within your story. Well, you can do that. You can pick something below your tier, and then you get bonus experience based on the tier that the group is playing at. There you can essentially advance your character so that they'll be more powerful, you know, or more at that tier level. That way, if you're in a lower tier, you do get the the added benefit of some extra XP to kind of keep you right, keep you you know to where you're fitting in with the group. Yeah. So tiers is an, a super interesting concept, um, and and it's it it because because of the way Warhammer Forty Thousand is, it is it is it is a necessary and elegant solution to the fact of so with the with the old series right you had like death watch and um like inquisition like they had different like sublines of uh you know 40k uh the role-playing game um in order to like what did you want to play right did you want to play like an elite squad of space marines death watch right they had like almost a different line for those different styles of play or those different tiers where this book kind of encapsulates it all and gives you a nice, easy process to figure it out. Yep. So character creation. So the next big thing is archetypes. Now character creation has two different ways you can build a character. And I find this interesting. They have, uh, they have building your character with archetypes and then they have advanced character creation. So the concept here is that with the archetypes, you choose off of their list, one of the arts types they have, so like we've talked about, right, tactical space marine or maybe imperial commissar or inquisitor, right? Those are all different um, arts types that you can choose from. And when you choose them, you essentially get this experience and then you choose that and you get abilities and stats that you buy essentially in blocks, right? So they they treat it as a suggested like here's a suggested starting you know s- stat block for an imperial guardsman right or you know an inquisitor and and then you know same thing skills here's a block of skills you pay one price you get all these skills so they essentially 
like give you building blocks to build your character. And then you usually, excuse me, you usually will have leftover experience to then customize them after that. Right. So another one of the things I really like about this, the uh, choosing an archetype is the, on pages, uh, starting on page 22 and 23, there's a list of all the different archetypes that you can pick based on the tier that you're going to be. And then within that, it gives you just a really brief summary of what that that character is going to be like. Which, in Wolfram, for example, it's not as big a deal because most of those uh, careers that you can pick are terms that people are going to know. Well, in, in Warhammer 40k, uh, knowing what an inquisitorial acolyte is, or knowing what a sister hospitaller is, or knowing a tempesta scion, like those are terms that aren't going to be well known to anybody who's just getting into this. So the fact that they have a breakdown of the name of what the archetype is, the tier, the faction it's in, a description of it, and then what page to find it on is another one of the really nice uh, ease of use things that I really like about this rulebook. Yeah, page numbers. Um, actually, in my copy of uh, Wolfram Core rulebook where it has the you randomly determine your starting career. Uh, I actually have page numbers written down for all of them, so I nice. I could just that's not a bad smart. not a bad call. Yeah, so no, it's a it's a good call on that. So it so here I'm gonna so I'm gonna give my first potential critique of this system. So character creation is designed to be modular and give you options and then they give you the advanced character creation which it just takes the gloves off and almost lets you do whatever you want and i tried creating a character um you know i did create a character but when i went through the character creation process it took me a little bit i had to do a lot of back and forth uh i had to and and so you think of wuffrup one of the things once you get to the point where you have to choose your career skills and stuff, you have to flip to your career and back. That's like the only time, but I had to go back and forth trying to figure out. It wasn't immediately clear to me. Like, and this is interesting, right? When it talks about buying your attributes and using your archetype, that stuff is optional, right? You don't have to buy that, you know, specific build out for, for your character. In a lot of cases, it makes a lot of sense. You probably should. Um, but even they have suggested uh, like uh, talents that they don't even give a price for. You'd have to go look those up if you wanted and figure out the, the cost of the talents. So it's just, uh, I don't know. I struggled a little bit with it um, before I got it. Now, having said that, Wolfram 4th Edition is not going to be, hey, it's my first role-playing game ever, and I don't have anyone to help me, and I'm just going to read and figure out how to create a character. Wolfram 4th Edition isn't any better. <laughs> it's 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 a pretty complicated character creation system. But this one... Well, I don't know if I'd go that far. I feel like the character creation for 4th Edition is a lot more straightforward. You think so? Like, Yeah, that you so. pick your species, you pick your class and career, it, you know, it has all the, you know, big tables that you roll on the, then That's you roll true. up your, your, uh, your attributes, get all your characteristics in place. 
you know, you pick your skills and talents from your uh, species and career. I feel like it's, it's a much more of a step-by-step process than in wrath and glory, yeah. which is essentially what you're saying here. But I, well, in wrath and uh, glory does have at the very beginning of it, uh, page 17, like uh one, two, three, four, five, but I had to keep going back there to try to understand. It didn't feel like it flowed great. It, what it felt like is we're going to give you a lot of option, but allow you to build the characters that you already know and love, you know, archetypes from the world. And we're going to hear the tools to build it. But they gave us a toolbox instead of a roadmap is how I feel. Mm. It is. Sure. That's a good way of putting it. Okay. Yeah. Now, having said that, I don't think this is a bad character creation system. <laughs> I, I think it's great. Um, I enjoy it, but it took me a minute to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. But that goes with all kind of thing to know a new book and game it just takes time yeah but, uh, but i definitely love all the options i love all the archetypes um just species that you can have <laughs> so cool that you can play orcs right um, well in the names the names that they have are really cool too like for the record yeah, yeah. guys if i play space marine in any game we're gonna play i call balthazar i'm just saying nice that is such a great space marine name yeah, there's some good ones in here. <laughs> I was thinking about the the other time I read the names, like you know, like they give us a list of names, and it's so different than you know Wolfrop. I'm just the names even sound more kind of like the futurist names. Yeah. Or Titus Tayana, you know, just kind of right. It's yeah. Interesting. Yep. Exactly. It's it is very it's very 40k. So. So anyway, um, there are lots of charts throughout this book. I know Matt must have been happy. Um, yeah, I like highlighted a handful of them yeah. <laughs> that I wanted to mention. But um, one of the things, one of my favorite charts in here. So when you get your species, first off, they do a couple of things, right? So depending on what your species is, human or, you know, orc, whatever, you have like maximum attribute like caps, right? Like a human is never going to be as strong as an orc. You know, you take your average human, average orc. It just doesn't work. The strongest human might be stronger than the weakest orc, but the strongest human is never going to be as strong as the strongest orc, right? So they put these caps in there, which I think is a great way of trying to maintain so that you just don't have, you have the same character, but with a different, you know, covering, right? Um, In addition, they have species special abilities, which are super cool. Um, well, a... spe- the, each, each different species is, it's not as simple as like, okay, I'm going to, I'm just going to be an orc or I'm just going to be, um, you know, an adeptus, a stardus. You, in order to, to take on a species other than human, you have to pay experience. Yeah. Yep. Which will make sense because if you're starting out as a space Marine, you have, a bunch of uh, upgraded attributes and skills, a bunch of special abilities that humans don't have and other, other uh, species don't have either. But it is, it is a really neat uh, table to look at. Uh, or I guess this is more of a chart, really, because right. you're not rolling on it. But well, and- it does break down the benefits to being different species. It, it's quite clear. Right. And this is really for advanced character creation because when you choose an archetype that already exists, you... Your uh, this is built in to like the species part is already built in, right? So, 
Uh, do you anything else on character creation, guys? You want to talk about? That's about it. I think we were quite thorough with yeah. What? The... Well, yeah. <laughs> character creation is one of my done. favorite pieces of any role playing system, though. So I like to give it a For sure. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, the oh. only stuff that's left is like some of the the basic uh, adding detail things like oh. eye, hair color, height. Which I want to talk a... about the, because the the bringing your character to life, the ten questions, is similar to Wolfrup, but I feel like they did a better job here. Um, when they ask these questions, they really dig into some of these, like, what is your greatest desire? Right? They they list out a bunch of bullet points. Do they want a physical object? Do they desire status? And if so, with whom? Right? Is there a pri- particular act you wish to see done? Like these are they really make you think? If when you're thinking, like I think going through these ten questions in character creation would take me a while as a player because I'd really it really make me think about it. So you had talked about the ten questions. I was um, saying that. One of the things I like about the 10 questions section is that it's not just those questions, that it breaks it down even more so. So each question has, you know, each of the 10 questions has seven or eight uh, sub questions beneath that, that just help you focus on the, or, or give you some ideas on, on what, <laughs> how to answer it and what to, what to do from there. You're Which absolutely I, I think is right. Nice. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. It just made me think, right? So it's like your GM saying, here are 10 questions I need you to answer for your character. But really, it's 70 questions. Because right. <laughs> well, I don't think your intent, the intent is to answer, you know, go through and answer each one. But right, right. it is nice. Again, this, this kind of makes it easier for people that are new to role-playing or people mm-hmm. that are new to Warhammer, you know, 40,000, that, uh, you know, can get them, get them up uh, and in the know. Yeah. Sooner. Yeah. If if I had to put these quest- ten questions up against the uh, Wolfrop ten questions, I think these ten questions would win. I think they make you think more. Yeah, I'm just scrolling through the, through the questions, and it's like, yeah, you can really get to know your character. <laughs> right. Out. Right. Early vetted. Don't forget, it's 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 Warhammer, <laughs> so don't roll bad on your first. I spent five hours filling out my questionnaire, and now they're dead. Yeah. So the next next uh, section in here talks about the different factions, and there are uh, two, four, six, eight, ten, eleven different factions. Technically, there are four, but the Imperium is broken down into multiple. Uh, and this this is another really neat section that gets you, it teaches you, and very informative about what it means to be somebody in the Imperium that's part of the Astra Militarum or. Uh, the rogue trader dynasties, or if you're an Eldar or an orc, uh, it's really, there's a lot of great information in here uh, for players that are looking to uh, get into one of those factions. Right. And I expect these factions, they will just be expanded upon with future products too. Oh, for sure. And, and the cool thing is, is the factions all come with like special rules, right? So like I'm a huge Imperial guard guy. So the first place I went when I saw the factions is I went to, the Astra Militarum, and they have rules for all the different regiments. So you choose what regiment you're from, and you get special rules that that help you, right? Like a, a bonus to defense when in cover, you know, or whatever it might be, the regiment. Which, okay, so I'm not sure this is the right place to talk about keywords, but keywords. Oh, Lance, I literally was just going to say 
maybe now's not the right time, but we should talk about keywords. Yeah, yeah. Because they come up a lot in this section. Well, they do. And technically, they're part of the the character creation, too, where you get keywords. Even if you do advanced character creation, you get a few keywords. One of your keywords is always going to be a faction. But somebody who wants to explain what keywords are? How do you explain that? It's like a... I'm trying to think of the best word. Essentially, based on like your... A... Your species and your your uh, archetype, and then even from there, like some of the talents and skills that you have are going to give you keywords. And sometimes you can't you can't uh, purchase a talent if you don't have the right keyword. Right. Yeah. It's pretty much like keyword kind of kind of like uh, hard, hard to explain. Maybe opens up options are set underneath that keyword with a regiment. You get some additional bonuses. Uh, it allows you to enter a new kind of uh, category of things that you can do. Um, I'm trying to put in better wording than that. So I, it's almost like if you boil down a character or a person down to several single words that would identify yeah. them, right? So like I am, you know, human, healthcare father like you know like like just very few words that might give you an idea of what i am and what i do and what my life yeah. is about and yeah and those and keywords... being a father for example is going to give you the option to potentially pick up a talent that only fathers could benefit from right right, right. exactly so and that's probably a little more granular than the game goes into but it's things like uh you know adeptus Cerritos would be a you know, a keyword, um, you know, Astra Militarum would be a keyword. So would regiment. Yeah. The or, regiment, whatever you know, regiment, be in a regiment mm-hmm. unless you have the keyword. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And there are even certain weapons that require keywords for you to like use or obtain or give you keywords. Right. Yep. That, that means like, so it's just, uh, like a, a talent that allows you to use a flamer to catch more people people on fire might require a flamer keyword or something like that. Yeah. And even on the, in your character sheet, there's a spot for you to list all the different keywords that you have. Right. And you can utilize keywords is almost like uh, uh, currency with your GM, right? Where you're going to make a role, the GM calls for a role and you'd be like, well, wait, I have the keyword, you know, Astra Militarum and I'm dealing with, you know, an Imperial Guardsman, I should get a bonus die, right? Yeah. So you can, and that's another way, which I think is a great way to, because when you think about it, a lot of games will have a hundred pages of talents, right? And really, you those talents boil down to, you have this skill or personal ability that gives you this sort of bonus, Right. But at the end of the day, like this boils down and eliminates a lot of need for a bunch of extra talents by just saying keyword Astra Militarum, anything to deal with Astra Militarum that you can convince your GM you would be beneficial for, you get a bonus. Yep. Seems super simple. I love it. I love keywords. I just noticing that um, in some of the uh, Imperial Society and stuff, the Emperor gets a page and a half of pure text. And I nice. feel like that's not nearly enough. <laughs> so with each faction, uh, and, and this breaks it down to all the individual factions that are part of the Imperium, uh, it talks about the uh, archetype, 
the different backgrounds that you can be. And each of these is a table that you can roll on. Uh, it's not a, a large table for each of the backgrounds. There's uh, three different options. Uh, and within those three, there's three different to pick uh, ones you can pick from. And there's also objectives. Uh, and everything that I've seen so far in this book all just uses a D6 in order to randomize. Uh, but it, again, it's really neat. It's something that will help you uh, very quickly, I feel, get used to the archetype that you're playing and the faction that you're going to be a part of. Yeah, and the, I'm glad you brought up the backgrounds because a faction is something you're required to choose when you do character creation, whether it's advanced or you're doing an archetype. And how it works is those three subsections you're talking about, which like origin, accomplishment, and goal, you roll on each of those and it gives you three different things and you choose one of those three things, which is a defining thing for your character. And it gives you a little bit of background for your character, which is cool, and a bonus. So you essentially roll three times, choose a bonus and a background that come with it. And it's a really cool way to give a little bit of randomization for your character. Like, so, you know, Matt and I and Steve could all build an Imperial Guardsman, for example, but we are going to end up already defining ourselves a little bit differently. Not only with, even if we were part of the same regiment, the background would give us more um, variety and would automatically give us variety even in our statistics. So one of the things that's really neat about this, the bonus that you get from the backgrounds that you choose just helps, helps more with giving it a, a really rich feel. And it's more thematic. You know, in a case where you, uh, you know, prevailed over death or, you know, overcame this huge accomplishment or, or uh, you know, achieved this huge accomplishment, it gives you that, if you get that one, you get plus one to your determination, which makes sense because you, you persevered and you went through and you accomplished this big thing. So it's the, the bonuses you get from the different background options is just another level of thematic goodness as far as I'm concerned. And thematic goodness is 100% right. So like I'm going to read on one of the Adeptus Ministorum backgrounds is uh, Penitent. And confession and prayer are not enough. You believe you sinned. And this stains your very soul. You seek penance with every act, but for what sin? Right? That is that is the thing that you're going to put in your background of your character. And you need to choose, well, what is the sin that you're trying? And because you chose that, you get plus one resolve, which is super thematic and fitting. Like, and gives you a ton of role-playing fodder right there, right? Yeah. Yep. Huge. Huge. Love it. Looking at the under the uh, orc faction uh -huh. uh, first off the objectives that they have are are so orky i love it <laughs> start a fight solve a problem with brutality uh you know apply the cunning of mork to a situation in addition to that the keywords like the, the so clan is a keyword that you get to pick and it's not clan you choose one of the clans and that becomes your keyword but right. to each of these there's a bonus so for example if you pick the evil sons who are obsessed with speed. They revel in the roar of engines, the smell of burning uh, Prometheum, and the feeling of going as fast as possible. They get plus one speed and plus rank bonus dice to all tests where you are in a, me a vehicle moving at top speed. So again, so it, there's, a, there's a lot of like, right? There's a lot of little stuff uh, that throughout the process of creating your character and, and you know choosing your faction or the faction that you're in, uh, there's there's ways to customize it even more so 
with uh, the keywords that I think is really, really neat. So here's the first thing I think of, right, when I think of this game, right, let's say you have a regular role-playing group, and you're playing, and you're playing, right, and it's like, hey, guys, we're going to take a break this week. Everybody bring, a, you know, an orc character to the table, and I guarantee you that your character will be dead by the end of the game, right? How fun would that be, right? Like, it would just be like, we're an orc crashing into a battle, like, how many cool things could you do, man? be awesome what about you steve do you have any like favorite bits or pieces on these backgrounds or factions um i also like the orc one just because you know i i played orcs in 40k oh you know it's just it's so orky hard <laughs> to fight you know uh, there was even a quote I, I i think in one of the the pages it's like uh uh and so we named him heads drop because we saw him smash the side of a dreadnought with his head <laughs> nice yeah that's good stuff man that's awesome so uh, something i wanted to mention was the objectives too which is a really great mechanic in this game um something i absolutely love so you roll an objective for every session and and that was one of the things where what was the one you taught like start a fight was an orc objective right yeah yeah right. or um you know, the, and there are a lot of different, every different faction has different objectives. So, like, uh, yep, has their own six. Yeah. So, like, yeah, scum objectives. One of these is use some gang slang, inverted or real, right? Explain how a common object has alternative use, probably as a weapon, right? These are something you, they want, like, hey, do this in the session and get a bonus. That's essentially what it comes down to. So, like, and they're all, again, thematic. Um, yeah, the chaos ones are great too. Uh, so the chaos ones are like corrupt right and innocent individual, create confusion, incite bloodshed, pursue decadence, or spread disease. Oh, be still my heart. <laughs> Matt can't wait for the uh, Woofrup uh, chaos companion full. Companion. Bring it on. Oh, man. It's yeah. Anyway, it's it's a it's it is it is good stuff. So, uh, so one of the things I love about this is they just seep you with lore and theme through the entire process of getting your character. Yeah, which I we've just kind of been said already, but I think it, given this setting, it's important to have stuff like that in uh, in fourth edition, for example to somebody who's never played Warhammer before, you can, you can tell them, this is obviously a huge simplification, but you can tell them that it's like classic fantasy, right? You're going to have, everybody knows what a dwarf is. Everybody knows what an elf is. They know what a human is. And they can, they can understand that world, I think, much more easily. And uh, you could, then you could grasp the world of Warhammer 40,000. Right. So giving you more information about the background, the faction, who you are, why you are, what your goals are, you know, what your faction's goals are, just really is going to make it uh, easy again for players that are new to 40K. Yeah. So uh, the next session goes into like a chapter that's all about the um, archetypes and um, Matt, I think this meets one of your favorite criteria from Woofrup, right? 
what's that? Having uh, a tables sing- to roll on? A single page? Oh, no, page. You're right, you're right. Yeah. Yes, a, sing- a single. And this, I mean, you could put these side by side, and outside of, like, the slightest bit of formatting, they're essentially, this looks like a page out of fourth edition. Right, you have the uh, the title of the of the archetype. You have what faction they're a part of. They're a two sentence description of what they are. A couple paragraphs that gets more in depth. There's a quote, and then you've got your uh, attribute block, your keywords, your attribute skills, war gear, suggested talents, and then a ridiculous piece of art. Oh my yeah. gosh, these are so good. Yep, the rogue trader. Kind of looks like Steve in real life. Just looking at, 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 at that, I'm like, man, he's got a nice sword. Kind of yeah. looks like it's the Eldar sword. That is a sweet sword, and I want that jacket. Yeah, that jacket is awesome. Like, I would wear that jacket everywhere and be ridiculed by everyone. Like uh, the paper that he's holding up. Like, what could that possibly say? Like, it's mine now. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this is a writ from the emperor given to my family thirty thousand years ago. It means that I own you. <laughs> to claim my rights. But but the artwork, man, is awesome. Yeah. Yep. Scabby. Yeah. That's exactly what I was just looking at. Yeah, the scabby. It, it's so good. And it's so important. Um it, like to Cubicle Seven or anyone that creates these books, when 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 I'm gonna play a role playing game and and I'm trying to decide what do I want to play, like a lot, this artwork just in a glance gives me an idea of what it is. And then, yeah. And then spot on, mm-hmm. right? So, like if you didn't see that piece of art for the rogue trader, how, how many people would be like, I want to be a rogue trader. That sounds like that sounds lame. A really fun role. Yeah. It, it kind of does sound pretty lame. Uh, but once you see that art and you're like, Oh man, I, I can be that dude. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it changes things. Right. It gives you a better idea, like scavy. Like I would never, if I just looked at a list of different things I could play and play scavy, I'm like, eh, I don't know. But then when I see that artwork, I go, okay, let's, let's take a look here. Let me dig a little deeper and see if this might be yeah. something I want to play. So the Crusader, I'm not sure if you've seen that one yet. I yeah, the yeah. Crusader is legit, man. I mean, he doesn't even have like any, uh, like gun. It, it's just straight up, just like he's got. Got a power, Giant power shield, and a shield. Yeah. sword. Yeah. yeah, yeah. These uh, these are great. Ending ending the em- the emperor's enemies, um, you know, with as much blood as possible. So many choices, though. It goes on and on. Um, but it's so cool that they have the pictures for them. Uh, so many choices. Yep. So good stuff. Um, so I, I can only applaud them. Uh, they did the same thing here as with Wolfrup, and I think it's perfect. So you you guys know more about the 40K universe than I do. Are there any, like, glaring archetypes or factions that are missed? Oh, yeah, bunch. Oh, yeah, like, I'm, I'm, like, I'm sure they're going to be in the future. Expansions. Well, but, cert- uh, yeah, certainly. There's a ton. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, there's nothing about like the like the dark Eldar. Um, there's just a lot. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there's a lot, and even in the Imperium, like uh, archetypes you have there, there's like one that doesn't sound like it'd be a lot of fun, but I think would be a fascinating to role play would be a navigator, um, which is uh, which is part of uh, 
they're essentially psychers that are like blind, but they can see into the warp and see the emperor's beacon and to navigate with that. Right. So like, it's an, it's an on, and it's an interesting concept. And, you know, and I'm wondering with the current history, did the navigators all die out with the great rift? Steve, do you know? Um, I don't know exactly, but I would assume not. I just think that the rift makes it, or they can't see the beacon. Right. If they're on the other side. You're, Right, right. So they're literally blocked from the beacon. So kind of the worlds that are on the other side, I think they're kind of stuck without help at the moment. Right. Unless there's already fleets there. So does the so, Great Rift mean anything to you, Matt? I, I know it's Steve and I are talking some crazy. No, lore. not I. I've heard it about it before, but I don't. I don't know enough to know to be able to carry in a conversation about it. Right. So, so here's a here's a concept. Right. So you know when they went from. What they did with fantasy is they went to the Age of Sigma, right? And so they, they needed change to shake up the game. And their answer in the fantasy world is let's blow it up. Let's have a giant, huge war called the End Times, release a ton of product and a bunch of books and do a really cool, basically go out with a bang kind of thing and start a new game system that's like built on the ashes of that, right? That was their concept here. And in my opinion, it wasn't the best way to do it they destroyed something i love even if what they created is great um oh, i mean to deal with all the yeah. fans that have been around for like long and then you blow up their world <laughs> right so so and to each his own i'm gonna give age yeah. of sigmar a chance with uh, the soulbound i'm excited to read that book but with 40k they went a different tact this is what i wish they would have done with the old world with 40K, you have the galaxy of mankind that's been battling all of these different, right, on the cusp of destruction all over the place all the time, right? But the status quo hasn't changed in, you know, since 40K was created in Rogue Trader, right? So not very much. So what they did is they advanced the timeline and a giant warp storm that covers the entire galaxy, basically rend the galaxy in half. And you have the half of the galaxy, which is on the side where Terra is and the Emperor is, that can still use his guiding beacon light in order to navigate their ships. And then you have everybody else on the other side, the other half of the galaxy, who have no idea what just happened because nobody can see the light of the Emperor to navigate their ships in the void. So you can only make really small jumps or longer jumps are extremely dangerous where like 99% of ships don't ever return. So you've essentially created a wild west out of half of the galaxy where all of their support and communication are gone. Called the Great Rift. So anyway, it's a great way to move the story forward and create newness, but and also keep some of everything that everybody loves. That's what they should have done in fantasy, in my opinion. We should have had like a cataclysm where the maps changed a little bit, earthquakes and all this stuff. And, you know, that's what I felt. But anyway, really long explanation for what Steve and I were talking about. So let's move on, right? So next part uh, is attributes and skills. We're not going to dig a ton into that. All I can say is there's some really cool, uh, similar to 4th edition of Warhammer uh, Fantasy Roleplay, a lot of cool skills, um, you know, and uh, talents or attributes. Or Sorry. 
Yeah, so it, it, just to, to boil it down quickly, so your attributes are, in essence, your characteristics from 4th edition, and then skills are your skills. But uh, what we haven't really talked about yet is our, how you utilize those. So Wrath and Glory is a dice pool system, and you're going to be rolling D6s. So every time that you're asked to make a test, you're going to roll, you're going to look at your attribute. That's going to give you a number of dice that then you're going to look at your skill that will add dice to your pool. And then when you roll the dice, you're looking for fours, fives, and sixes. So to be successful, you need to roll a four or a five counts as one success and a six counts as two. So attributes, skills, that's, that's a little bit on how they work. Um, and how, how you could compare them to fourth edition just for ease of ease of understanding. Yeah. So, I am a huge fan of dice pool systems. Um, hey, we got our start in, or I got my start in a dice pool system, so it's near and dear to my heart. I like a D one hundred system for what it is. Like it's a like a the the ability to have a percentile and say just immediately know I have a thirty percent chance here, right, or something like that. Um, it makes it easy to conceptualize. And don't get me wrong, I know 4th edition is built on a D100 system because it's Woofrup, right? A lot of decisions for 4th edition were made, well, because Warhammer, right? There's no other reason, right? Same reason that weapon skill and ballistic skill exist as um, attributes in that system. Um, and and if, you, if you ask me, well, why is it there? Well, it's because it's Warhammer, Um you know, if if I were to build it from the ground up and it wasn't Warhammer, I'd never have weapon skill and ballistic skill as separate attributes, right? So sure. some of the things that you think about in the way it, systems are built, the D100 system has its upsides and downsides, but it is what many would consider a more archaic system, an old system where things are very pass-fail. And... A dice and they're pool. also much more swingy too, swingy. right? Swingy, and I think that's the biggest thing, right? I think Matt, you and I were talking about this the other day. A dice pool system is more of a bell curve, right? The more dice you add, the you know you're just moving the bell curve down the line instead right. of completely expanding or changing. Uh, so, if you want to think of it this way, in a D100 system, you add a bonus. So, if if you're going to do something that's easy, it's a you know a plus forty. Right, so you're essentially adding forty percent to whatever you roll. When you're doing that, you're just your range hasn't changed at all. You're still gonna, you just, you still have just as much possibility of it's rolling a one as you do a one hundred. Just the difference is, if you roll a one, you get to add forty to it in that case, or twenty, or whatever it might be. So your range is still with a dice pool system. It's a bell curve. You add more dice, you you don't change the bell curve. You just make your you make it more, you have more likely. opportunities for success. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I like I like dice pool systems, and this one is simpler than most. And believe it or not, I like it because it is. Yeah, I'm really interested to see how it plays. Yeah. So, and there's also something so satisfying and so beautifully Warhammer. 40k about rolling a handful of d6s yes right like that's that's such a classic and we'll get into uh you know there's some other other nuances of that but well let's no let's rolling, talk about it now we're, a bunch of d6s and and getting looking for fours fives and sixes are uh 
it's just it's classic right so the core mechanic of this is at its very very base is what you already said matt right you take an attribute and you take your skill you add them together that's how many dice you get you roll those dice um on a four five or a six it's counted as a success or technically an icon right so a four or five gives you one icon a six gives you two icons um, and you call those points or success or whatever you want to want to call it, right? So I'm an old, you know, from Edge of the Empire guy. I think of it as successes, right? And so those are, you know, the number of successes you have a target difficulty. That is the base of it. And it's very simple, very straightforward. You have different attributes or weapons or uh, not attributes, but like talents, um, different things that make give you bonuses of give you extra dice and it's very simple now here's where the twist is that gives it a little more than a two-dimensional pass fail and that's called the wrath die oh the wrath die i put a little star next to it on my on my uh, idea. show notes it's it's amazing you yeah you guys want to take take us through the wrath die sure yeah so essentially the wrath die is a die that you're going to be rolling at all times. Anytime that you make a check, the Wrath die should be included in that die roll. Um, the Wrath die is, it needs to either be a different color or a different size. You need to be able to recognize what die in your die pool is the Wrath die. And essentially, it's going to uh, just add a little bit of chaos into the die roll, or the potential for chaos, but also the, the potential for an added benefit as well. So, kind of like a if, critical failure or critical success in a die. Pretty much. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, if you roll a six on the wrath die, then whatever you're attempting to do uh, will will be critically successful, assuming you pass. Um, or if you're if you're in a combat situation, rolling a six on that die is going to be is going to trigger a critical hit. Uh, and if you roll a one, the opposite is going to be true. So rolling a one is going to be uh, going to cause bad things to happen in a lot of cases. And and wrath is is uh the wrath die it's so if you play if you ever played um fantasy flight star wars system right it's it's essentially like getting uh, a triumph or despair or or like a a threat or a advantage right so you can succeed at your test that you're trying to do to open that door or to shoot that person but you can still roll a one on the wrath die and something bad could happen right or something interesting and it's it's very similar. the The rule book very much clearly says it's between the player and the GM. Figure out something that's cool. Now, if you can't figure it out, they have some tables that you can roll on, um, which is cool uh, to get a random effect. Or maybe sometimes you just want a random effect, you know. But things like, oh, your your weapon ran out of ammo, or like you know, in my our gaming group, right? We we'll come up with crazy stuff. I can see your, your you spilled the lamp oil on yourself. You oh no. A, oh no. Von Holtz oh, no. quality lamp oil, man. Sure to go up. Call, call poison control. If you get that on your skin now. So man, but yeah, that's like, that's cool. Or if you roll a six, right. It's, it's a benefit, a boon, if you will, some systems call. It. Yep. Yep. And that when you roll a six, you gain a glory point, which we'll talk about here in a second. There's also, uh, so in addition to the wrath uh, criticals and complications, there's also wrath points that you can spend. So wrath points give you the option to re-roll a failed die, 
uh, have a narrative declaration, which I really like this, and it's really reminiscent of the destiny points in the Star Wars system that we've played. Yeah, exactly. We're like, oh, man, I forgot to buy this rope when we were back in town. Oh, I'm going to use a wrath point to say I didn't forget to do that. Or, uh, hey, wouldn't you know it? There's a pile of rope or there's a, a length of rope sitting right here. You know, those kind of things to help uh, just keep keep the narrative going and not be as punishing for, you know, potentially forgetting something. Right. Yeah. Yep. And or it's also how you get rerolls in this system, too, is wrath yep. points. So you need to reroll and rerolls are very interesting, right? So you get to reroll. Um, it's very specific ones, twos, and threes, but you can't reroll the one of a wrath die. Um, and uh, so it's just a very interesting concept of, of how the, the reroll works, right? So there's no, there's no fortune here in this game, right? It's not, it's not something you just start with fortune. Well, in a sense, yes. Wrath, Obviously, in that sense, it works the works very similarly uh, with rerolls, and you do start with two wrath. Oh, that's right! You at the do. beginning of every okay. every session. Yeah. So, in that sense, really, I think the thing that we could compare that to most is fortune. So, no. All right, I I take it back. I I was not thinking that through. Another pool that gets uh, built up throughout the game. You don't start with any of this, but it's the glory pool. So by. Uh, Rolling criticals is a way to gain glory. You can also gain glory by, uh, you know, the GM's discretion. But you can spend glory to do some really interesting things. So you can increase your die pool. You can increase damage dealt. You can increase the severity of a critical hit, which is always good. Uh, Or what's called seize the initiative, which essentially uh, lets you determine your position in combat initiative is fascinating in this game i'm excited to talk about that when we we get to it in a second but this is kind of like the destiny points you're talking about before too where um you know i'm going to spend a destiny point to upgrade my my check before i roll it right so you're going to spend a glory point to increase the number of dice before you roll a check or actually and it's not before it's after you roll um right so it's it's even better in that way um and glory is a a party resource, right? Everyone shared it. Um, so it's, it's an interesting concept. Yep. So we talked about how you, how you generate a die pool when you're making a test. The way you determine whether it's a success or a failure is determined by the DN or difficulty number, which is determined by the GM. And I think in this case, it's, this is much more similar to D and D in that sense, right? Where the GM just determines the difficulty and then, must pass and yeah and in that sense it puts a lot more pressure on a on a uh a gm to be able to interpret what's happening accurately and therefore give a an appropriate difficulty so i i i think that way too but the more i play a system the easier it gets so um in that's true in my opinion so warhammer fantasy roleplay second edition is absolutely terrible for allowing a game master to accurately identify difficulty in a situation Um, because something that they think is easy, quote unquote easy is, is so much harder. Really? It, it, in my opinion, that is skewed what they did in fourth edition where they make it like easy is plus 40, right? In in second edition, easy was plus 20. I think Um, your, your, uh, your average check in second edition was plus zero and your average check in, 
excuse me, in uh, fourth edition is plus 20. Here, they do a decent job of telling you this is what a normal and this is easy. I think it's one of those things where um, having a GM screen with you when you start playing your first time as a GM, that's going to be the number one thing you look at. Because as a GM, really, you have to decide. Don't think about deciding a difficulty number. Decide, is this check easy, hard, difficult, impossible? That's what you do. Figure out what word you think applies and then look at the chart and figure out what it is. Yep. And I think this is a good spot to reiterate that it's, you know, you can collaborate with the players at the table too. If you, if one of the players has a really strong, you know, opinion that, oh, this shouldn't be, uh, you know, that difficult, or if they can make a case as to why it wouldn't be, then, you know, you can kind of adjust it on the fly. Right. But that's, that's the, uh, the basics of how, how tests are going to work. And I think, so another fascinating thing here to talk about really quick is a pose test, right? So pose test in uh, Wolf of fourth edition, and we're going to keep going back to that because that's what, uh, (laughs) what we are about. Right. But a pose test, while I think it's one of the biggest strengths of fourth edition, it also can be one of the hardest things to get your head around in that system. Um, If I'm being honest, right? Like someone new, it might just trying to get the idea of success levels and comparing them and so forth. Here, it's a lot easier. You roll your dice, I roll my dice, whoever has the most icons or successes wins, right? It's very straightforward. Um, Another key thing that I think is like kind of, uh, which is the shifting. Yeah. I mean, you can really, really, if you, if you're, if you roll well, you can really get it where, I, I mean, you can, it for glory mm-hmm. and you can have it where if you already pass a test you know you can switch switch your successful dice um to just little things um that improve odds with everything more information quality improve speed um just for little for little things here and there it really makes uh, a difference right yeah I- so essentially if you roll a in uh six which would be an exalted icon and if that's not needed to pass the test, you can essentially like save that. You can spend it essentially for extra bonuses is what it comes down to. And and then uh, with like glory for your group, you can just always shift it to be um, to add one point of glory to your pool as your group. So it's awesome. Well, you're not wasting successful dice rolls. You can actually use them for a little bit more to help the group in the future. Right. Right. So the example they give in the book, I think, is really cool. Right. So a guy, some somebody's trying to uh, unlock a door. Right. And trying to override it. And he gets like three exalted icons that he doesn't need to finish the check. Right. So the GM, you know, so he spends them to get three pieces of information. And the DM tells him, well, this lock was recently opened um, four hours ago. um, And it was with you know, Xenos technology. Well, man, that's a ton of information that you might not just know from picking a lock, but because you got all those shifting, right, for the exalted icons, it worked out. All right, so combat, I think, is next. And combat is, I mean, it's based on the same basic mechanics, um, and I don't know that we want to spend a ton of time digging into this, but there are a few things I wanted to point out. The first one right off the bat is initiative. So initiative in this game is done in a way I haven't seen it done in other games. And it's straight up a back and forth starting with the players. So 
it goes, you go, I go, you go, I go, you go, I go. And the players can choose whoever they want at the time that it's their turn to go. Whoever hasn't gone yet that turn. And same thing with the uh, the NPCs or, you know, the bad guys, if you will, or whoever, you know, is going against. And so, and, and I like this because I found that systems that give you flexibility. So one of the problems you can run into, and this is true even in fourth edition, is you can sit there and it's my turn to go. But the enemy hasn't made it to me yet. I don't have anything ranged. There's nothing I can do. But it's my turn, right? What if I want to wait and go after, see what somebody else does? See, you know, maybe I could heal somebody, but nobody's hurt yet. You know, those are the things. Now, there are options in fourth edition, praying and a lot of different things you can do. But it's a feeling people can get. And in this, being able to choose, like, okay, player slot. Who wants to go next, right? That can generate conversation and, and a fun uh, strategy all its own. Well, let me wait. I, I have this grenade, but I want to wait and see what happens. So, and you can use, uh, uh, like, you know, what, glory to, to uh, you know, switch your, so you can go again. You can essentially, like, player just went, let's have another player go. Um, you can spend points to uh, manipulate that initiative change. And something yeah, else I should mention, important. GMs get something called Wrath. Or no, not Wrath. Glory, Wrath and Ruin. GM get Ruin points. And Ruin points are kind of like the GM's currency to mess around with initiative and stuff like that, too. It could be brutal. For sure. One of the things I really like about this is the uh, on page 174 and 175, uh-huh. there's a quick reference guide for... The actions, advanced actions, attacks, movement, damage and defense, melee options, ranged options, situation. Each of those gives you a description of all the different options you have in that category. A one sentence or even a few word description of what it is and then a page to go to for a more in-depth description. And honestly, this is something that I, if I was GMing this system, I would print I would maybe try to condense all this down to one page or at the very least just photocopy those two pages and every single player at the table. Yep. Because it's so easy to forget. Like, oh man, I have an option to fall back as a melee option or I can use my pistol in melee or I can do a called shot to get more extra defense or extra damage dice. And having that as a reference that a player can have in front of them during combat is so valuable i agree so i feel this is a double-edged sword combat is always a place where a game system bogs down no matter what game system you have true and so with wrath and glory it goes so when i think it gives you options more like a more tactical game system one so wolf rip second edition um or uh, like, you know, different things with D&D or, you know, um, you know, where you have like, OK, I don't want to just attack, but I want to do full defense or charge, you know, things like that. Uh, the these actions will give you options instead of just I hit right. You can spend movement uh, to do different things, too. Right. For example, you can aim if you're going to shoot a weapon, but you don't move. You can use your movement to aim. Because uh, every turn in combat, you get to do a movement, you get to do an action or attack, right? 
you get to do a simple action, um, a reactive action, um, and then obviously any free actions. But depending on the different options you choose, you may have to spend, in addition to your attack, your simple action. So like when you're right. running, for example, you, you're going to use you know more than one thing so that you get that extra speed, that extra time. Or a full out run takes all of it. You can't do any of those extra things. So the good thing is that it really gives you options as a player. And it's going to reward you for knowing the system. The, yeah, bad, right. the yeah. bad part of that, the other side of that sword is as if I'm brand new to this, I'm a brand new GM, a brand new player, um, it can get overwhelming with all the options to know, oh, look, what can I do? Oh, I just, I want to move and attack. Great, you can do that. Yeah, but it, you it also, can also yeah, absolutely it, take you out of the role-playing element of it. Right. But once you can see more uh, strictly the different options that you have, you're more focused on finding the option for the moment instead of what you're going to do in the so I, I definitely I, saying that it's it could go both ways is is the the appropriate way of of stating that. But I I still feel like knowing the options and having that as a reference to have at the table. So having said all of that, I do think that the combat system here is overall less crunchy than Fourth Edition. Wolfrop, uh, I definitely think so. Yeah, the, the the options that it has, like once you learn these few, it's not going to be a massive undertaking um, for in some of the stuff in Wolfrup, like the number of references, you have to go back and forth. Now, I should be honest and say until I've played a combat in this system, you don't really know. But um, true. But, but trust me, we will. And we'll let you know what we think after it's done. <laughs> for sure. And then. And I love that there's so many options. Like, like if I really like knew the rules, it's great. I have all these options available, you know, at my disposal. Definitely, like, you know, watch it so it doesn't bog down. You know, your your play. Not like you, you got to know what you're gonna do before your turn. Right. Where you right. can just spit out your turn and go for it. And um, I, I will say that those two pages, 174 and 175. Make it so that this isn't nearly as intimidating. If those two pages didn't exist with a chart to tell me where to go, for sure, I would yeah. be I would be saying not as nice things. I think about the combat system, but this I, makes it digestible and and much more like okay. If I don't maximize out my combat options and, until I learn the rules, it's not the end of the world. At least I know how where to go to fumble through. It's perfect, but especially you know your first time playing through, you can be like, okay, my movement. What options do I have? Oh, I can run, sprint, crawl, or cover. You know, right. that's what you have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> especially people that are new, and so and and from another perspective, you make it really a, a good point, Steve. Right? I'm brand new. I can't tell you the first time I've run role playing games with some players. Some people just don't have the initial understanding uh, of you can do whatever you want, right? It's you, you could tell them that five or six times to their face and it, you say, you can do whatever you want. What do you want to do? Well, what can I do? What are you talking about? Right? Like as a seasoned role player, I don't need anybody to prompt me. Right. I just know like, okay, I'm in this situation. I want to do this. Right. The, and the, for answer, sure. the answer for the GM should pretty much always be Yes. Even if it's insane, I'm just gonna have a super high, high, high difficulty, right? But like, exactly. But but like, sometimes with new players, this can be better. Okay, what can you do? I can do. Here's my list. This is what I can do. I choose that. 
Well, another way to utilize that reference would be to have the, you know, don't necessarily give it out to the players, have them describe what they want to do. And then that's a, a one spot where you can look to see what they want to do and what category it could fit in. Or they that's might really describe something they want to do and you could be like, okay, well, uh, that's, that's basically this, you know, how does this sound type of a situation to, uh, you know, to co- collaborate a little bit on, on how it would play out. Right. But in any event, that's, you know, I, to reiterate, I guess, I, I think we can agree that, that is, uh, is useful for either GMs players or both. Right. There's like a whole subsection on stealth rules here that seems way more crunchy than I would expect for normal right. stealth but like it's a, interesting you have a stealth score yeah the yeah. actions that you're taking will affect your stealth score it is it is interesting so i'm holding judgment on saying. that until i i've actually played through it because my initial reaction is whoa that's too crunchy for something so simple but it could be super fun so we'll have to we'll have to see but yeah do you want to take us through there like five steps for an attack yep so first thing you do when you're going to make an attack is declare. Declare your attack, your target or targets, any modifiers you might have based on your talents and gear. Uh, pretty normal stuff there. Then you assemble your dice pool. So that's going to be the combined, combined value, the attribute, and skill. And again, any modifiers you have. Um, and then you're always going to replace one of the dice with the wrath die. Uh, at that point, you've you're going to do a test to hit. You're going to roll the dice pool, count the number of icons, exalted icons, result. Uh, as long as the number of icons you have uh, are equal to or exceed the target's defense, you score a hit. If it's not, then you would miss. So, and just like before, you can shift exalted icon, uh, in this case, to extra damage dice, as long as the number of, you know, as long as you still succeed if you don't use exalt icon. So at that point, you roll damage. You assemble a die pool equal to your weapon's extra damage value, which is summarized as D, plus any extra dice, uh, extra damage dice from other sources. You roll and, and add all the icons together, and that is the total amount of damage that you do. So there's a, there's a few things I want to point out with this. So first off, attacking is very simple and straightforward. Second, melee attacking and like uh, attacking with a ranged weapon are almost exactly the same. You uh, just add a strength bonus when you're attacking melee. And now I will say as a Warhammer Fantasy 4th edition person that um, I absolutely love the way melee is handled in 4th edition because how good I am is taken into account when rolling to hit, right? So this is which doesn't come into play with this. You have a standard defense, which kind of, you know, is dependent on whether you're getting shot at or whether someone's swinging a sword at you. So in one sense, that simplifies it, which is great. Um, And I think it will be much smoother in combat, especially large combats because of that. On the flip side of that, I like, I don't know, maybe I'm just too used to now the fourth edition where we're going to swashbuckling, you know, sword fight, like, we're both rolling to see what happens. Um, now, something else I wanted to point out is uh, is damage weapons in this game. Oh, my gosh. Even a LAS gun in this game deals a base damage of seven wounds 
plus it has an extra damage die, right? So you roll another die and you could get an additional two damage off of it. So you're gonna do seven and nine damage, right? When I created my character for my my Imperial Guard or, or whatever, like his wounds, now you like you have resilience, right? He has like a resilience of four, which is like an armor of four. So it takes away four of those, but you rolled nine, you take away four, you still have five. That's like all my wounds. I think I might've had five or six on them when I created them. Wow. So like, and, and there's no fate points. I, did you guys see fate points anywhere in this rule book or anything equivalent? Is there any, oh my God, I'm dead, but, but now I'm not because I'm spending this currency. Not that I, that I came across on uh, this first like cursory read through of it. What about you, Steve? Did you see anything like that? Any get out of death free cards? Cause I didn't either. And man, um, so how you die in this game is, is crazy. You take these extra wounds and, uh, but anyway, like we'll talk about that in a second. But what I want to say is, like, in the Warhammer 40,000, 40K world, a LAS gun is often called a flashlight by anyone that doesn't play Imperial Guard. And the reason is, is because they say it's, like, the weakest weapon out there. Man, that's the weakest weapon, and it could one-shot my Imperial Guard. Now, there's a big difference between a Space Marine and an Imperial Guardsman, even in this game. Right, and you can get tougher and better armor, and it makes a big difference. But one lucky hit can mean a big difference, especially when the criticals come rolling in. The criticals in this game are nearly as bad as the criticals in Warhammer. Or right. Fantasy. Well, and your your number of wounds is only your toughness plus your tier, so your wounds can be low. I mean, I would be surprised to see a toughness at least early in the game higher than seven or eight and and usually if if you lose all your wounds you're not you're not technically dead yet you're just dying at that point right yeah which is fascinating and and you suffer a memorable injury prone and then of course you have to roll while you're dying um if you roll based off a chart you get a traumatic injury instead i I believe but pretty much roll deterrent termination when you take a dam- damage while dying. So if, if you still take additional damage, um, you got to use determination can reduce the damage. But if you do get damage, um, get more, I think, damage, you suffer more traumatic injuries than your tier one. Um, like, like if you are tier, tier one, suffer more traumatic injuries than your tier plus one, you kind of like, like you're not dead yet, but you're kind of dying. Uh, yeah. Really well, and- roll well. Uh, or, or, but you know, tier one plus one. I mean, two like injuries, and that guard, the guardsman is dead. Yep. And uh, the memorable and traumatic injuries. Yeah. Awesome. Can we That's talk about really, that for a second? Really fun. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. The memorable well, injury is like it's a tiny chart. I really wish it was bigger, but it's just a concept. Like, all right, man, you got knocked down to zero wounds in that battle. Great. You lost a couple of fingers or, you know, a, a burn or torn ear. Like, just just memor- things that, like, it's a scar you're carrying with your character. I, I think I actually like the fact that that table is small because it gives you a lot more creativity to come up with something your own. Like, a memorable injury, sure, you might be have, like, and have a scar. Well, what 
what does it look like? Is it a, a unique shape or is it how, you know, what fingers did you lose? How this memorable injury, how is this going to be something that gets brought up and talked about, you know, when you're making fellowship tests, when you're, you know, standing around drinking, uh, you know, having a drink. The traumatic injuries are largely in the same way. Um, and there's, there's, you know, you roll a D6 and your injury is either going to be to your hand, arm, leg, torso, or eye. Oh, God. Yeah. If there's one thing that I, like, will make me literally sick to my stomach thinking about, it's eye injuries. Yeah. Man, and it's just, it's so Warhammer. And then your your solution to all these critical injuries is uh, replacements. Augmented reconstruction. Right. Which is so Warhammer. Like... Like by the time you're done with your career, assuming you all your your campaign, assuming you all survive that long, you know, half of you are gonna have you know bionic parts all over your body. It's just gonna yeah. be, yeah. So that is a little bit different than a critical hit. So critical hits happen again if you roll a six on a, on the wrath uh, die in combat. Uh, the critical hit comes out on a d sixty six table. And I mentioned this to Lance before we started. I, I've never played a system like this before where a D66 is a thing. But uh, it really, it makes a lot of sense, you know, the more I think about it. But the, uh, so the, the critical table, there's a lot fewer options. It's not like it's broken down into different uh, injuries based on the parts of the body. But there's some good ones in there. The, uh, you know, if you're unfortunate enough to roll two sixes, then you suffer a grisly amputation. The foe's limb is removed with extreme prejudice, leaving the body in a crimson arc. Oh, that is, uh, that's like poetry right there. <laughs> yeah, man, that's, that's legit. I, um, it is, it is And plus on a lot of these, you can spend glory to make it worse, which is, I think is a right. fascinating concept. So this is the bad thing that happens. Spend for every point of glory you spend, add this much extra damage or whatever. Like it's, gain a gain a mortal wound. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, so. and another thing that's really fun about the critical that that critical, for example, is that after you suffer that, you roll a d6, and if you roll an even, you get to pick what appendage is amputated, and if you roll GM, so. That's uh, that's good stuff. Yeah. Oh, all right. So there's something that really should have been, we should have talked about during character creation, but as we're talking about weapons and stuff here, one of the things that came back to me like, oh man, I completely forgot about it, and it's one of my favorite things. Uh, the One Ring did something very similar, um, and it's called the Trinket Tables. Um, so when you create a character, one of the things you do is you roll random uh, a trinket. And there's like three different trinket tables with the D66 things. And they give you random like stuff that's just uh, to add to the background of your character. Yep. On page 248, there's three. uh, Actually, there's more. There's three trinket tables, but it's spread out over, I want to say like four or five pages. Looks like uh, four pages. But yeah, these are these are super neat. I, I'm right there with you, man. This is stuff that I I really uh can get behind. Yeah, it's just it's just and it's just random. Like 
One of these is a lighter in the shape of a compact pistol. Pulling the trigger pulls a tiny, steady chemical flame from the barrel. Like, okay, that's 52. random. Fifty-two, like right. a crystal bottle of intoxicating perfume made from rinx musk glands. Yeah. Or here's one: battle damage ID chip from a Tau a Tau fire warrior, which even having that in your possession could arguably be heresy, right? Um, as an With imperial a lot of person. money. Yeah. Right. So like, or you now compare that to a braided lock of of synthetic hair. Like, why do you have this random trinket? Like, and you could feasibly build an entire background off of something like this. So yeah, well, it could be like a good luck charm, a trophy for something. Right. Uh, it's just neat. It's another one of those tiny little things that you can have that just make your character even more unique. Right. Right. Oh, they're so good. Like I, I just keep reading them and I'm like, Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. So yeah, just, I wanted to mention that. Um, Cause it's kind of in the chapter with like armor and weapons and the items. war. Yeah, yeah. The war gear chapter. Yeah. So which uh, in, in classic fashion, the, that chapter is going to break down all the different weapons, armor, things that you can have, the traits that you can pick up uh, or that they, the different things have. One of them I love is, uh, and this just, everything about the orc faction, <laughs> I find so fascinating. And it makes me really want to play an orc, despite the fact I think it would be kind of tricky to be able to role play that. Right. But uh, one of the traits is, uh, wow, orc weapons defy understanding. They break the laws of mechanics and physics, but a green skin's beliefs make them all the more deadly. If you're an orc, you gain plus one bonus die to attacks with a wah weapon. You're, uh, if you are wounded, you gain an extra ED as well. Just neat stuff. In the in the, I'm sure we've told you this before, Matt. But in case we haven't, in the miniature game for 40k, there's literally, and I guess it's it would have been seventh edition, so I don't know if it's still in there. But there used to be a rule, like it literally, if you painted the vehicle red. red it would yes, get it one extra faster. point of movement. Yep. Because, yep. I love it. Because I orcs it. believe that it should because red goes faster. Yep. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. Yeah, this chapter is one where you're going to see a lot of references to the keywords, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, every every different weapon has at least one, if not two different keywords that uh, are going to relate to other things. We also, we skipped over the, the talent chapter uh, or the talent section, but that's that's another area where uh, keywords really come into play, where right. you have to have specific keywords to gain certain talents, and in the same way, if you gain certain talents, you will then gain certain keywords. Well, and it's not just certain talents. You have to have skills at certain levels for different things, too. Like, to be sure. a sharp suit, yep. you have to have a certain amount of ballistic skill, things like that. So it's just, I like that, because... Instead of like limiting it to your this kind of career, you have access to these talents. It's each talent is built on the underlying skills you would already have, right? So I think it's a it's a great way to do talents. Oh man! All right, so we've been we've been talking our heads off about this for a while. We talked about combat and the rules, war game, psychic power. I didn't do a ton of reading into this. The basic rules are built on the same system. Um, 
but it's it's i would equate it to magic in fourth edition um it's something that you would very clearly the gm and the player using a psyker both need to understand those rules when you bring it into the game um i don't i don't do you guys did you guys dig deep into it because i honestly didn't i didn't dig too deep into it but but you, you you know it's just like the magic in fantasy you know it's kind of just kind of like that um, yeah so there's gotta different... be careful it's dangerous yeah for sure for sure comparing it to magic is dead on because there's different uh like like different powers right so there's minor minor psychic powers which are probably most uh comparable to uh petty magic stuff that's more simple things that aren't going to be require a huge skill necessarily but then there's different disciplines, right? So you might have the biomancy discipline that with that comes several different like uh, abilities that you can get. There's the divination. Again, each one of these pyromancy, which come on now. Right, <laughs> right. But let's get real for a second. You know for a fact that I'm all about that. Uh, so anyways, there's, there's just a bunch of different uh, disciplines that you would then uh, get into, and that's going to be how, how you can utilize those. It's also in this chapter that we get to corruption, which mm-hmm. uh, there's a piece of art on page 285 that is so perfectly like encapsulates the concept of corruption. It's oh, yeah. uh, a dude with like 12 eyes all over his head. So what page? It's pretty good. 285. I think I might have just counted 22 if you don't count the bionic eye. Oh, oh man, it's hard. It's hard yeah, to look it's at. A bunch. It's, it's hard yeah, to it look is. at. It's pretty man. rough. So, oh, geez, like he can see everywhere. Yeah, right. So one thing I wanted to, before we move on past the psychic chapter, I wanted to point out that they have a Perils of the Warp, which is like the equivalent of a miscast table. It is harsh, hardcore, some really good stuff in there. But one of the things I wanted to point out is there is a whole, like, your character could be possessed by a demon kind of like there's even well, sub rules for it and it's very fascinating so this this section is uh i like salivate reading through this because yeah. of all the ridiculous stuff uh so aberrations are where the force of corruption transforms you into a bestial like hybrid oh yeah so for example if you roll a one on the aberration table you uh your body is covered with equine hair. Your head distends into that of an equine, and your you grow a lengthy mane and tail. Your feet transform into hooves. Your legs become, uh, boy, digi, digigrade, digigrade. Uh, you must modify any clothing or armor worn, uh, in order to have it fit. So in this case, you actually gain a toughness and speed, but you you become a horse. Oh my god! <laughs> horse would also be one at least like, beneficial. Or a shark or an eagle, like all of these are neat. None of them are bad, right? Like if you become a shark, you can't suffocate underwater. You make melee attacks with your fangs, treating them as if they're knives. Like uh, of I, could, I could go you, on. You lose all your body hair and your torso becomes encased in a thick shell to which you may withdraw your head and limbs. Right? Uh, and that's that's just one example, right? There's uh, this everything dealing with different mutations. Uh, and things of that nature are really, uh, really interesting. Yeah. So there's there's different, there's like subtle mutations. Um, so you roll a d6 to determine the severity of your mutation. From there, you roll a, a 66 
D66 to see whether it's subtle, minor, or severe. And under severe, of course, is where you get some of the the really, really interesting mutations. Because it's Warhammer. There's got to be mutations. Come on. Right. right. Yep. Absolutely. As the Wolfrup Core rulebook focuses on a, one section of the Empire, um, you know, within the old world, which is the Reichland, this too sec- focuses on a single section of the universe, the galaxy, which is the Gilead system. Um, so it basically gives you a chapter dedicated to background, um, you know, ideas for, you know, what, you know, what's going on. This is really a lore chapter in everything. Yeah, that it this, does. this is almost verbatim the, uh, the glorious Reichland chapter in fourth edition, right? It's given you locations. It's given you, you know, people and NBCs, uh, which again is, is great information and it, uh, you know, I, I feel like I could say pretty comfortably that this is going to be something that's going to be expanded upon moving forward, right? This book has stuff about the Gilead system, and then future books are going to, you know, dig into other areas of the galaxy. Well, and the, the, the Gilead system, too, is it is on the other side of the rift. Um, it is ripe for adventure. They, they designed a system... That is like, and it, you could spend multiple campaigns in this system. So here's my one of my big misses, in my opinion, for this book. Where the heck is my map of the Gilead system? Like, look yeah, at, I didn't see that. I, personally, that's a huge miss. Huge miss. Like, there's no map of the galaxy in this book showing the Great Rift, and there's no map of the Gilead system. Two things that I like cubicle seven. I love this book. I love these rules. I love, this is great, but you'll never get a, like a, a 10 out of 10 for me. I need that map. <laughs> I really do. Like a, kind of like a two page open up the book, uh, gal- galaxy map showing the rift and kind of where yeah. Terra is kind of, yeah, yeah, no, for sure. To be fair, well, even fourth Google edition, the can, front, go ahead. The front cover, right? The inside of the front cover is the map yeah. of the Reichland. You know, I Empire. wonder, maybe maybe they'll have a map on the inside cover. And so, again, we don't follow Wrath and Glory like nearly like we do 4th Edition, so they could have already announced that, and we just don't know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, you know, and if they did that, that would be fine. I'd be okay with that. But, um, I mean, I didn't get it in my PDF, so <laughs> I would assume it's not there. But Yeah. And I wonder something that's big to miss just like a, a kind of a map yeah um, it, yeah to be honest maybe, not, i don't i'm not sure if i saw a map on uh, anywhere in this book yeah which which i know is something that we uh we've come to really appreciate about fourth edition are the excellent maps yeah so i don't want it to i'm not saying that the book is bad because of it. i'm just saying that you missed a golden opportunity i want a map of the gilead system it doesn't have to be super detailed you could have built it so that you could expand upon the gilead system for years to come but like something that at least gives me a super high level of you're talking you give me all oh, there are like three planets and x amount of moons or whatever at least show me those like sure. i just that's just a thought i had and then um, but yeah, a map of the galaxy. So anyway, the the background story is great. The artwork is great on this. I think this is a great place to do adventuring. Um, and I fully expect them, like you said, Matt, to expand on this in the future. But that that was hard. Uh, I told I can 100% when I got to this chapter, I start I just looked for the map and didn't find it and was extremely disappointed. 
I was sad. Me too. Um, I expected it on like page one, kind of like <laughs> Gilead's system, you know, kind of uh, the next page. Here's the map, and uh, now we're gonna digress into the planets and areas and forests. But mm-hmm. anyways, but I mean, just the artwork, man. I'm just I keep scrolling through, and it's just like wow. Yeah. There's one where they're showing Imperial Guard groups kind of facing like a greater demon, and I'm like, man, that's uh, sorry, guys. What what page is that? Oh man, I'm gonna scroll through now. Um. I was just flying through. When I come to it, man, I'll okay. let you know. So anyway, pretty straightforward. Um, we have a game master chapter. Uh, yeah, th- this is pretty pretty standard. I feel uh, it does touch on some elements of this system that are unique. Um, but uh, for the most part, this is about uh, I don't know, maybe maybe ten fifteen pages that talk about a lot of the basic stuff that. Uh, as a a GM should know and good tips and stuff for GMs. One of them, uh, one of the really interesting parts of this is ruin. So ruin is another that is generated through play and ruin is something that is spent by the GM to activate different effects, re-rolling failures. Uh, They can seize the initiative. They can uh, make a determination roll, activate specific ruin actions that certain uh, enemies are going to have and the GM gains ruin any time a player fails a corruption test, if they fail a fear test, or uh, if the GM rolls a uh, six on the wrath die. So that picture was on 322. Oh, yeah, look at that. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah, they dead. I mean, that's they just... Uh, that's a, <laughs> better, just nuke it. Better nuke hope, the city. Hope, yeah. That that Imperial Guard commander better, like, just be, like... like <laughs> His his hand is Hold still the there. It pu- pushes the button to blow up everything. So one of the other things uh, that is really obvious as you're reading through this book is that the the amount of XP that you're going to be gaining is substantially less. Essentially, it's about one tenth of what you get in Warhammer uh, in uh, in Wolfram. So it's in this it says that you essentially are going to reward ten XP to each player per session. You know, twelve could go to somebody that did a you know, except, exceptionally good job. That's, but that, again, is about really about a tenth of what we get normally when we're playing uh, fourth edition. Right. And that's just a difference because, like, uh, what uh, Star Wars is like that, right? Where you get like right. five or ten a, a session. But yeah, that's a really good point. Um, in, in my opinion, the fact that they can get away with a character advancement with low XP like that. What it means is that it's a very tight advancement system. Now, um, I admit, I, I the advancement system I'd have to really dig into more and play a, a character a little bit to get a good understanding of how significant um, the advancement would be. But um, I, I like that. I'm like not and, having to. And go ahead. I've read a, a, a small section where, where it's kind of like the advancement is kind of meant to reflect kind of like if you're an Imperial Guardsman, I mean, your chances of surviving alone are, are, are rough, let alone kind of into the point where you're being promoted. Right. Um. So so, so it's like beyond using Ascension, it's, it's real hard to kind of advance. Just kind of the skills you get kind of reflect that once right. you do. I'm actually really excited to talk about the next chapter. Um, the next and final chapter yeah. in this book is the B-Siri. And there are, well, there are several reasons, I, points I want to discuss, but two of the ones that I'm most excited about is scaling threats 
and mobs, which mobs are essentially – oh, I'm drawing a blank now. What's the Star Wars equivalent? Minion. Minion. Minion groups. Minion groups. Thank you. Yes. So mobs are essentially minion groups, and in my opinion, um, it is one of the ideas or concepts around – handling adversaries that is the best thing ever um and the concept here is that if you have 10 orcs right that then you instead of having 10 different people you're tracking and doing all that you track them as one group and they have a very straightforward rule set to do that it makes it simple it makes it easy on the game master it makes it easy to track and the game master already has enough to do you know, having to track, you know, wounds and attacks and rolls and all that, it's already a pain. Um, I'm a huge fan, huge fan. This, so this, uh, the mobs, uh, mob rules are basically a way for you to combine enemies together into a group and essentially utilize them as a single profile. They move together, they shoot together, roll all at once, right, and all that kind of stuff. So love it. Uh, the other thing. Yeah, why don't you talk about scaling? Yeah, scaling. Yeah, so scaling is the other thing, right? So we talked about tiers. Well, so you have this beast area that has a bunch of different enemies and stuff that you can, you know, utilize as a GM. And But you can scale them to your group. If you're at a tier two group, it tells you specifically how to scale the enemies, the things in this book up to a tier two level or tier three level. Like it gives you rules for that. And it is awesome. It is absolutely awesome. It's simple and it's straightforward. I love it. Yeah. This, this bestiary does a great job. I mean, it walks through all sorts of different threats Uh, and I like how it breaks it down by threats. So instead of just having like beasts and, um, you know, uh, demons and, and humanoids, this breaks it down by threats uh, like imperial threats, heretical threats, demonic threats, orc threats, uh, Eldari threats, and then gene stealer threats. Right. Uh, and there's just like in you know every part of this before, the artwork in this chapter is just so good. It is. It's so- not every every single uh, person doesn't have. I don't think. No, yeah, they every don't. Single person I've already doesn't checked. Have art, but. But uh, the ones that do, and most of them do, uh, are are epic. The uh, Rogue Psyker is just wicked looking. The Chaos Space Marines, boy, I would not want to uh, come across that. Yeah, I so so Cubicle Seven. Uh, this is a great chapter. Um, but you want to take your game to the next level. I want a piece of artwork for every entry. I really do. You did that with uh, World War Fourth Edition. I even have a pigeon artwork, and I love it. That is what I want to see in every B-Series. If, if there is an entry, I want a piece of art. It doesn't have to be crazy large. It can be a small little thing. Like even the servo skull has a tiny little piece of artwork there, but at least it gives me a quick visual representation of what we're talking about. That, so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to harp on it because it's something that I love, right? You, you want to win me over? Like you you did it in the arch, uh, whatever they called, not arch nemesis, but the uh, arch I mean, type. The... Yeah, so in the arch type, right? Oh. You gave me a piece of artwork on a single page for every arch type. 
give me the same sort of treatment for my B-series. I want a piece of artwork for every entry. Um, and then give me maps. You don't have to give me a ton. One or two would have been great. Um, those are my biggest downsides. But um, it's not it's not a bad chapter. And most of them have artwork. But a, a few don't. And uh, a few that I really wanted to see um, artwork on, to be honest with you. Um, like, you know, a possessed Chaos Space Marine. Like, what yeah, does that look be like? Interesting. You know, like... There, there's a little spot for artwork, but maybe it just wouldn't didn't make it. Yeah. Well, and yeah, it definitely would have been nice to have art for each of those, but yeah, uh, I still, I still don't feel like uh, I have room to really criticize the because it is quite plentiful, and it's every bit that is superb up to the standard that Cubicle Seven has set for themselves. I agree. Yes. Hey, I. I agree too. I mean, it's very, very, very nice look. So anyway, I let's guys, let's, let's give our final thoughts before we, we sign off here. Steve, you want to start? Sure. Um, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I'm glad they took the routes that they took with this. Um, I think when we actually do play it for the first time, I think it's going to be a great time. And, and they keep continuously making Beautiful rule books. Um, there you go. Thank you. And uh, it was fun read. Wait to play. Yeah, I think that it's going to be kind of hard to give um, a full review of this. Right now, we're reviewing it as a book, not so much as a system because we haven't played it yet. But speaking just to the quality of the book, it is top notch. Uh, I know it might might sound like we're Cubicle Seven fanboys, but they they really put out a a damn fine product um, that's easily navigatable. The artwork in it is really really nice. Um, I at least to this point, I I you know didn't see any glaring omissions in there that should. You know, I think in that regard, it's uh, it's a fine product. I do I am very much looking forward to actually putting this system to the test. I think that's going to be uh, a lot of fun, and I look forward to it. Yeah, I agree with everything you guys both said. Um, I would add that uh, from without having played it again, just like you guys said, without having played it, um, you know, I would say this is an amazing product. Definitely. If you like role playing games and you like the 40K universe, this is a no brainer, um, you know, purchase for you. But I think uh, the real test of the system will be when we play it. On paper, it looks like it's going to be fun and great. Um, I'm very curious to see how it goes uh, when we play it. I think it'll be um, awesome uh, just from what I know about the mechanics and stuff. It's a Cubicle 7 product, and I don't say this just like you said, Matt. I'm not being a fanboy. The reality is, is I look at I have looked at a lot of different role-playing products, um, and Cubicle 7 consistently is in the top top notch of, of product quality when I look at it. And uh, I have no doubt that'll be the case when I have a physical copy of this in my hands. And, um, and uh, so I would only say with this review, having not played it, the only downsides, I've already kind of voiced them. Character creation could be a little clunky. And I say that having not gone through it more than once. Um, but once now that I have it and I've gone through it once, I think it'll be a lot easier and more fun. 
but uh, it, it just took me a second. It was a little bit all over the place, but that is a minor thing. Give me maps. I need at least, I want a map of the galaxy that shows this great rift, which is such a giant piece of the driving of of conflict and story in in this game and in the Warhammer world. I need to, I need, it doesn't have to be a whole page map, even like a half page map that shows the universe. And so I can see what they're talking about when they talk about this great rift. And then um, a map of the Gilead system would be nice too. Those are, and go ahead. One thing that we didn't see was kind of, you know, how like in um, edition, it had a kind of like a history section. I didn't see that in 40K, like you know, how. Like a timeline. Like in the 40K rule book, like in the tabletop game. Yeah. yeah there was a timeline of just kind of the major events. And yeah. it would have been nice to have kind of like a timeline in this one, kind of, you know, when the Great Rift uh, occurred or when that yeah. happened, you know, just. That's an interesting thought, concept. But... Yeah. And, and so, and man, and it's hard too, because we're complaining about all of this stuff that would force this book to be even longer, right? Um, what do you cut out of this book so that we can fit two maps? What do we cut out of this book so we can put more artwork in the B-series section, right? So, like, it, to one sense, I get it. Like, I'm not the guy that has to sign off and sell these books. But if you're asking me very honestly, like, what are the downsides? Those are the things. Now, Well, I think I think we've been spoiled, right? Because 4th yeah. Edition had all... Uh, yeah. Without naming names, we all know of... of role-playing game core rule books that have a fraction of the art uh-huh. in, yeah. in worlds that are brand new and, uh, you know, designed, uh, you know, games designed around these worlds and these universes that are not, that don't have decades of content already out right in a, in a book like that. If you don't give me artwork for a creature I, that I don't have any way of knowing what it looks like without, just trying to picture it based on the description you give me. Yeah. So, you know, I think, I think we might be harping a little bit too much on the quote <laughs> lack of art when, to be honest, this book is pretty much chock full. Oh, oh yeah. No, it's we, not... we at Cuban seven has spoiled us with artwork. Yeah. For well, sure. I won't lie with that. Like, like it's so much so that I'm used to seeing that much artwork. Yeah. Um, to where like, I think I can complain that we're missing a couple pictures but overall man it's just awesome uh, no, for sure. those, those are just the little things that i expect now yeah i think at this point here the artwork maps history you know page or two kind of dates your events it's a little things yeah. but i think overall they, man this is great yeah they definitely set the bar high for themselves yeah and uh sure did. so and, uh, you know and, and that's a good point because i'm basically saying well what would have made this book perfect is this right but at the same point you have to sacrifice page count somewhere or you have to sacrifice now so don't get me wrong now i will tell you that the content in the b-series section the fact that there's mob rules the fact that it clearly tells me how to like level up it's not nearly as complicated as fourth edition like i yeah like i if you you ask me like just from my cursory not having played this game i think this b-series done better from a content perspective than the B series and fourth edition, but it, right. you know, the B series and fourth yeah. edition had a piece of artwork in every one. And it's one of my favorite things yeah. about it. So, and, you know, it's one of the things where, 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 where it's like, we're, we're nitpicking just a little bit, but I mean, looking at this book, I haven't read, uh, or I haven't 
flip through a rule book that has been like as beautiful or, you know, kind of just, it's so nice. Um, I don't know any other rule book kind of like fantasy space age, a game that has a book like this. Yeah. No, I can't, I can't think of either even like, uh, so the one that I have on my shelf, uh, like firefly, um, which is sort of space in, uh, star Trek adventures and, both of them are good books and Star Trek Adventures is even beautiful in its own way, but man, it doesn't stand a candle to the layout and artwork in fourth edition or wrath of glory. I, I think I would argue with you about the Star Trek Adventures core book. I was not a fan of that flip. So yeah. I think they may, and I, we don't need to get in harping on different systems, yeah, but I found that to be incredibly hard to navigate and hard to read at times. Yeah. But I do want to com- come back to this. And this is a, a, for me, this is a pretty big one. This is an issue I had with the fourth edition core book, an issue I had with this one even more so. I feel like in fourth edition, I could hobble along uh, just based on my knowledge of like, you know, generic fantasy. This doesn't have any adventure in it at all. All right, guys, future Lance here. When we recorded this show, we actually did it right before the Wrath and Glory the graveyard shift free adventure from cubicle seven was released and uh, announced. So we have this whole discussion about how we want an adventure to be with the book and all that. And cubicle seven delivers and gives us a free adventure called the graveyard shift. So it's an excellent free uh, wrath and glory uh, adventure starter adventure. It's a, it's a good one. So be sure to go out if you don't already have it, it's free. So just go out to drive through RPG. You can search wrath and glory. It'll come up or just Google wrath and glory, free adventure or wrath and glory. The graveyard shift should come right up. You can go get your free copy of it. A nice fun Warhammery 40 K adventure for free to go with your wrath and glory. So anyway, uh, future Lance signing off, going back to past Lance and the guys. Oh my gosh, or, I can't believe I didn't think about that. You're right. Or, or even, even, um, I mean, there's the, the Gilead system chapter that has some information about different locations and things. But for somebody that doesn't know Warhammer, I don't think I could run a convincing session just with this core book. Or rather, I probably could. It's all here. But it would take so much time putting that together. Whereas, and this is... I feel like in just about every other core book that I've read, there's been an adventure of some sort, even if it's short, in the core book, so that you have some place to get started. Uh, if, if I bought this book off the shelf because it looks great, which it does, and I like Warhammer 40k, which I do, I still I don't think I'd be able to get it to the table before either extensive, extensive prep or... A starter set, which we can assume a starter set is going to come out yeah. for this, but you definitely well, not there, a starter set. Technically, there's already a starter set because remember this was published before they took it over. So I don't know if they've revamped it or what. I'm trying to because I'm actually I'm trying to go to their their shop right now and take a look at the products because we're forty k. Yeah, Wrath and Glory starter set sixty bucks. That's that's expensive. Core rule book. Uh, that that makes a pretty pretty high point of entry, right? If you're yeah, you know, gonna have a core book and a, a sixty dollar core book and a sixty dollar starter set, that's that's tough. That's uh, that's 
they, that's yeah. a pretty big barrier to entry. I mean, and they have GM screens and a bunch of other stuff already there and ready to go. So it's, I'm curious. Uh, we'll see now. And it says this was created by Ulysses Spiel, which has limited functionality with wrath and glory. So this is part of the problem. Again, we're not hugely into this, right? So, um, I don't know, like you have products that aren't the same rule set after Yeah. See, cause it even, it even, I'm looking at the, uh, battle map and it's even the battle map says it has limited functionality. That's a good point. I think, um, hopefully, I mean, and I, <coughs> do we know, is they're going to have a free adventure like they did for, uh, fourth edition? I can fully see him kind of going the route with fourth edition with kind of like adventures, little books, maybe downloadable adventures, hopefully maybe a newer starter set. Um, of course, expansions. And the, 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 this is their baby now, so be sure they'll go with it. it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yep. So there is a wrath in glory revelations is a free adventure on um yeah. on uh drive through rpg for wrath and glory well that's good so, to know so so that looks like they do have something so and granted 40k is popular so most of the like the people that are actually going to buy this will probably be those mm -hmm. that actually play it so you know i'm they're kind of i think maybe relying on that lot right. that they kind of know of the world um definitely i mean if you thoroughly read this rule book you'll definitely get a glimpse into every culture every world scenarios yeah. kind of i mean it's in depth we've only had what like a week and a half um, to kind of go through it but you know if you had a good little bit of time to read the full thing through you, you would definitely get entrenched in that world and kind of know what it's kind of like just so based off of the history and paragraphs and and I, I, would, things. I would argue in most cases, um, any IP-based role-playing game, at least the GM most likely is going to have a background in the world. Like, people that have never heard of 40K, like, their game group isn't going to decide, let's run 40K. You know what I mean? Okay, so, so hear me out here. Okay. Having an understanding of the world... And being able to run a competent role-playing session, those are two dramatically different things. And just just knowing the world is not going to mean that you you're, it's not going to take uh, a significant amount of time to put together an adventure. And again, I'm not saying that that's, that's not fair. out of the question, but just just knowing the and having a really strong understanding. of the you still are going to have to produce your own NPCs, your own locations. You know, having something like that in the core book just it it reduces that barrier to entry, uh, and sure. that's that's one thing that for for me is a pretty pretty big selling point. Definitely, it does take some investment in time because I I mean you you could be a person that reads their forty k books, they yeah. grasp, but of course you know I mean uh, you're reading a whole book like you know, iron... get a gra grasp of function. Yeah, I keep thinking back to Iron Storm, Steve, that you and I read. That's such yeah. a great one. 
to remember that book. Um, I've been reading the Caiaphas Kane uh, yeah, books. Caiaphas Kane. Oh, it's like so I fully go imperial, imperial guard just with all the books and how much I've read on you know kind of that yep. scenario. Yep, I agree. My final thoughts: I, I, I wish for a little bit more artwork in the B series. Um, I wish for a map or two in there. Um, and some of the stuff is a little clunky with uh, character creation, but not really. Um, having said all of that, those are the only downsides that I see, and they're not really big downsides. I think the the core uh, mechanic is, looks to be awesome on paper. Combat looks like it's going to be fun and quick. Um, I think that uh, it's going to be a pretty straightforward adventure, and I love the archetypes um, and you know how you can like build the system wrath and glory and ruin um are all an excellent uh fun way to play the game I i'm looking forward to it a lot so this is uh definitely a, a nine out of ten or better for me oh i, I agree I'd, I'd put it right in there eight eight nine all, all day I, I would like to interject because you did mention that uh there's a free the wrath and glory revelations pdf that free through drive through rpg Right. Uh, I just downloaded that. Uh, it is not an adventure. It's basically just like a designer um, description, uh, almost just like a sales pamphlet about what? the game. Oh, but there, there's lame. no there's no content in there whatsoever. Well, okay, then there is no free adventure for this. I just just for the you know yeah. clarity of anybody that might be listening. So maybe maybe we'll get a free adventure. I I, I yeah, don't know. I'm, I'm I think, sure we will. I'm yeah. sure we will. I mean, I have the free RPG day adventure that I yeah, can run yeah. on this, but I it's built on the old system, so it's probably not going to work. Yeah, anyway. well, well, we'll see what comes next. And yeah, I, you know, I the the probably the biggest complaint that we have about Cubicle Ten is it seems like a lot of these products are taking a long time to come out. Right, and hopefully that's not the case with content because just reading through this book and the conversations we've had today, I'm excited to give it a try. Yeah. Yep. So excellent product. Um, we'll play it and we'll let you know. I'm sure one of our, uh, our episodes back on, uh, Warhammer fantasy role play. We'll, uh, we'll give our, our final quick thoughts after we've had a chance to play this. And, um, I think we're already planning on putting this on our Patreon. So, um, speaking of which let's, uh, let's wrap this up, gentlemen. That's the end of our show tonight. Thank you everyone for joining us. And uh, keep in mind, we plan to do a similar bonus episode for Age of Sigmar Soulbound as well. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll try to maintain that a little bit shorter than this. This is going to be probably our longest bonus episode ever. Uh, but we really want to get a good, because none of the three of us, none of us are super ingrained into the lore like we have been in fantasy or 40k. Um, so I think we're going to want to take a little more time to really digest it. Uh, we got the PDF. We're going to be going through that and, uh, you know, reading it up, digesting it. So um, it'll be a little bit, but we'll make sure to, um, you know, do a bonus episode on that as well because it's uh, our sister game. All right. So intrepid listeners, keep in touch. Let us know your questions, feedback, and even show topic suggestions. You can contact us multiple ways by checking out our website at www oldworldpodcast.com Twitter at Old World Podcast and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Old World Podcast And while you're checking us out on the various social interwebs be sure to hop on over to our Patreon page and support us. 
If you like what we're doing and want to help out, become a patron. For only a couple dollars a month, you can help support the show and get some cool rewards too. And in fact, with rewards, we have an awesome Zazzle shop as well. So if you go to oldworldpodcast.com, uh, you can check that out. Uh, there's a link to the stop, but oldworldpodcast.com slash store, or you can go to patreon.com slash oldworldpodcast. Those are two great ways to support us. Also, let us know what you think. Visit iTunes, preferred podcast service, and rate us. Every review helps us reach even more Hammer fans. All right. This is Lance saying goodnight, and may you live more than 15 minutes on the front lines. This is Matt telling you to stay tuned for the zany adventures of Inquisitor Heinrich. This is Steve uh, saying goodnight, and hey, if you play 40K and you've been interested in a stepping stone to get into role-playing, this will be your per- perfect stepping stone. This podcast and related website are completely unofficial and are not endorsed by Games Workshop Limited or Cubicle 7 Entertainment. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. GW Games Workshop, Warhammer, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and all associated logos, illustrations, images, names, creatures, races, vehicles, locations, weapons, characters, and the distinctive likenesses thereof are registered trademarks of Games Workshop Limited, Cubicle 7 Entertainment, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including any audio or video information, is the intellectual property of the Old World Podcast and Crimson Tower Studios, LLC. 